The stages of rehabilitation can be used to inform survivors, family, friends, and communities after challenging events. The focus and language is different depending upon each group, but the pathway is the same. I want to identify and provide a brief description of the stages, not as a means of advice, but to provide insights and ideas gained by stories of individuals who experience tough and challenging events. Each guest is in a specific stage. So listen, see if you can identify what they did and are doing to move forward in their healing and recovery process. Stage three, focus on treatments. This is a busy stage. You made the decision to move forward. You, your family and friends identify and support all types of treatments, not foolish ones, but look for and use traditional medical as well as complementary and appropriate alternatives. You need guidance energy and support. Take it. Those who do well asked for and accepted help. I want you to realize every day what a wonderful man you have married. And Eric, you're the luckiest man in the world marrying my baby sister. I want you to love and cherish and tell her every day because you never know what tomorrow will bring. That's the voice of Christy Simo Barranco in a recorded message played during her sister Carly's wedding. Christy passed away from leukemia, unable to attend Carly's wedding in person. And today on Sliver of Hope, the podcast series on post-traumatic growth, Dr. Joyce Michael Flynn talks with Carly about stage three, focus on treatments, traditional and complementary. In our series, focusing on guiding survivors towards growth after trauma through Metahab. Find out more at metahab.com. Today, we're going to talk with Carly Simo McIntosh, and Carly's going to talk about her family's situation, especially having to do with her lovely sister, Christy Sima Barranco. And at this time, I'm just going to let, turn it over to Carly and let her talk about your sister, what happened, and kind of give us a little bit of the story and the background to this. Yeah, so thank you. Um, my sister, Christy, who lived in New Orleans and had been out there for... I want to say like 23, 24 years because my brother-in-law, Russ, um, from New Orleans, went to LSU, worked for Chevron, and for years and years and actually about six months before she was diagnosed with leukemia, he retired. Um, but she was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia, AML, uh, three years ago. It was three years ago this this past October. And... Um, it just kind of, she had been sick for a couple weeks and went into the hospital and received the diagnosis and didn't really come out for a few months after. Um, it was a shock to my family. And, you know, I specifically remember the day that, or the night my dad um, called me with the news. And um, I was actually, I was, my husband, or my now husband and I were headed to the final home opener for Sleep Train Arena for the Kings. And we were in the mountain mics right outside the arena. And my dad told me, and I just obviously lost it. And we had to head home. Um, but it just, it rocked our family's worlds. And over the next 18 and a half months, she endured, it was either 13 or 14 rounds of chemo. Um, um, a bone marrow transplant that initially seemed that that it was going to be successful and it was almost a perfect match, uh, but she it, it failed her, 
And um, after 18 and a half months, she unfortunately lost her battle in May of 2017. So talk a little bit about what this meant to you as a sister. So for me, um, I think the timing of my life. So Christy is my half sister. She's um, she was 22 plus years older than I was. Uh, I have three older half sisters uh, from my dad's first marriage. But Christy was the youngest of the three and one that I was always so incredibly close with since a very young age, um, despite never really living in the same city. Mm-hmm. Um, but I worked for her. I made multiple trips to New Orleans to stay with her for a week or two weeks. I, uh, When I worked for her, I helped her start her company that was that's still around even after she's passed. And um, I mean, she was always around for graduation, my graduations or just various milestones in my life. I mean, there, the age difference never mattered for us. Mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. was that mentor, the person I aspired to be. Um, so as you can imagine, this news kind of came and just really rocked like our family's world, but my world as well. Um, and I think it was also a very, at a, very interesting time and I didn't really recognize it at the time but um, I had started my current job uh, which is what I consider a dream job and three months before and really I that opportunity came to be because of relationships I had established and oper- um, and people I had met during the time I worked for her and she was always so supportive of me following my passions and doing whatever I wanted to do And so there was that. So I was in this new position adjusting to my role. Um, And then a week and a half after her diagnosis, I got engaged. And I learned the night of our engagement that she was actually supposed to be there for it. But so you go from this terrible, heartbreaking news to a week and a half later of like one of the best days of your life and just the emotions that went in the first couple weeks of her diagnosis. And then of course, kind of taking everything on and planning a wedding, which at times I definitely wanted to postpone because ultimately my matron of honor couldn't be at my wedding. Um, But Christy did not approve of that decision and neither did my parents. Um, And so I think in just the age I was, I was in my late 20s when she was diagnosed. And it's a time when so much life is happening anyways. Right. Um, right. Getting married, being in this really great job, you know, a few years from starting to think about having a family. It's a time when you're really dependent on the people in your life and especially your best friends and your siblings and your sister that you've always been so close with. And right. so... I think from a selfish standpoint, it just it was this wave of emotion or circumstances that really affected me even more at a heightened level. So sometimes I I notice when people go through things like this, that they have it's almost like they have to kind of delay their grieving because you had some things going on. And so you get some things done, you know, the wedding and, and moving on and trying to find some happiness in that and then moving on to, well, now I got to get to the business of dealing with yeah. what happened in the meantime. Uh, that's absolutely the case. And so 
you know, this was, like I said, this was three years ago that she was diagnosed, got engaged a week and a half later, got married 11 months after that. Um, and then she passed about eight months after, seven months after that. And um, I, it was all this, it was, and on top of, like, I couldn't afford to just not go to work. Mm-hmm. And the other piece of yeah. the hardest part for, I think, my parents and my siblings and myself and uh, with her battle is we weren't in New Orleans or Houston where she was treated. We couldn't always be there. And so there was this feeling of just, like, feeling helpless and not being able to support her in her battle, phys- like, in a physical presence. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And so all of this emotion and this burden weighed on us. Um, and then after her passing, I, I I say that the second half of last year was just kind of a blur to me. Like, I've right. had people t- remind me of things that have happened last year, and I just, it, I don't recognize it. And, um, I, and because I did after this point hit after she passed and after things had settled a little bit, I kind of just went into a cave and took time. I like, I didn't want to volunteer my time for different boards or be at social events, whether that was for networking events for work or for even being around my friends and family, um, in larger gatherings and stuff, because I just didn't have the energy. Right. Um, you know, a one hour networking event felt like a weekend in Vegas, to be honest, and just how much the life it took out of me. And the last half of last year, and really this year, where I've been a little more better able to focus, I've really started taking those small steps. And just everything I do, I do it with intention. Um, I'm more mindful in the choices I make and um, both in my personal and professional life and just trying to self have self-care and healing and get to that point where I'm not pushing myself too hard um, and forcing myself into social situations, but I'm also, but I'm still pushing myself enough because it is important to be around people. It's important to have conversations like this one today and share my story, but as well as Christy's story and let her legacy live on through those choices that I make. That that is perfect. I think there's also a, a almost a feeling of a before and an after. Mm-hmm. You know, this is things that happen before the event and after. And as we're talking about, you know, stage three, that has to do with getting into um, treatments. It isn't so much what I'm hearing from you. It isn't so much that you specifically got into a treatment, but you definitely found things to do. You engaged in things that helped you move, that helped you cope, mm-hmm. and that helped you move through. We're going to get into the end that I think is really important and also gave you purpose. Mm -hmm. A lot of this gave you purpose Mm -hmm. and finding out about that. So maybe you can talk a little bit about, you you mentioned self-care. What did you do for that? What did your family do around that? Yeah. um, I think, I mean, health and Christy was super healthy, um, just how she ate and her lifestyle and everything. And so obviously, and with cancers like leukemia you they don't know what causes leukemia um there isn't one specific cause that they've been or a few specific causes that they've necessarily been able to pinpoint um but self-care for me was more 
taking time for myself and being able learning better learning how to say no um, to things I recognized that I still had a job to go to I still had a team to manage and I had to show up but I didn't have to go and do all these networking events or clutter my week I don't want to say clutter because my weekends are filled with like going to dinner with friends and family and things I really enjoyed doing but I didn't want to push myself necessarily too soon Mm -hmm. um, and overwhelm myself Um, so just being very mindful in the decisions I was making and if I wasn't up for it just being honest about that to the people um, you know that I was meeting with or had to sit on a board with or that type of thing Um, I started getting back I've always for years, you know, it would work out quite a, quite frequently mm-hmm. or a few times right. a week for sure. And I kind of lost that just because I just didn't have the energy to do anything right. outside of like right. the bare minimum of showing up to work. Um, but I started kind of putting my, forcing myself, like even if it was only once a week and it was on the weekend, to go to a spin class or do something like that or get out and walk more and just those like little steps to mm-hmm. get back into some sort of routine. Um, and then take time, like another example, f- last year in 2017, four of um, my five bridesmaids from our wedding all had babies. Oh my God. So it was, <laughs> yeah. so in the last year, and if in the case for three of them, it was their first one. So just, taking time to like be with them and quality time with my family and friends maybe not in these larger settings but um of a lot of people but um really spending going out of my way because their lives are so crazy because they do have kids and we don't at this time to go and see them and make that trip to see them um which was always just so wonderful to be around and right um, you know, sometimes it felt like an extra effort to go because just like build up the energy. But then when I was there, it was just like it made my heart so full. Right. And I and I love that notion, too, of that s- sometimes intellectually we know what what will help. Yeah. The process of actually getting the energy to do it. Yeah. And following through is a whole different thing. But once you do it, it makes a world of a difference. Yes. And I think that's a great message to tell people, whatever treatments or things that they want to get into, that sometimes you think, oh, this is too much effort and whatever. But once you follow through or have people help you follow through, Mm -hmm. you go, you know what? This was a worthy way to deal with this. So talk about your family, too. You and I have discussed this before, Mm -hmm. and I want you to share with our listeners a little bit about your family's healing process and what helped with the family situation. Yeah, I think um, like an example of my parents, um, it was, (laughs) you know, I can't imagine any parent losing their child. Right. And that's, I mean, it's hard enough losing a sister, but as a parent, or a husband, or losing your mom—it's—it's it's a whole different ball game, especially because she was so young. Um, it's taken its toll on my dad, especially. And even though my mom was Christie's stepmom, they were very, very close and um, had been for basically since the beginning. Right. And um, and so it—it it definitely took its toll. 
but one thing that I noticed shortly after Christy passed was my dad just seemed to like he's one of the most loving and genuine and kind and sweetest men he's also almost 78 years old in February but he has worked since he was 20 years old and just worked his butt off and owned his businesses and has been hugely successful and has a very um, well established and um, uh, respected reputation in the Sacramento region and he deserves every he deserves every p- part of that um but you know he he always said that he was gonna start like retiring at 80 um but he actually partially retired shortly after Christy passed and now he's only working three days a week and you know he Mondays and Fridays him and my mom will take long weekends or they just get a lot done or just do stuff. Right. The opportunity to spend time together. Um, and that happened quickly, shortly after. And um, and I just, I, I, there was obviously the pain that you could feel, but there was also this kind of willingness to just like let go and try to relax and appreciate each moment. And I, I noticed that. Um, and I think with what my parents and the decisions they've made, in this past year and a half especially is they um just like how i feel for myself um there's a lot of intention behind the decisions they make or the uh, how they choose to spend their time with the people that they choose to spend that time with um, more so than ever and um of course health has always been a huge part of our lives and taking care of ourselves and eating healthy but even that's been heightened Mm -hmm. throughout this whole process um and then our family as a whole um you know just my brother who's in southern california and in commercial real estate down there he's made some very big decisions for his career and they were risky decisions but ultimately are paying off Mm -hmm. and i think that kind of inspiration um in not taking things for granted and following right. your gut is something, which is something that Christy always lived by. Oh, and that's interesting. So, how that, um, yeah, I, I think it's just all those things we're very mindful of. Um, the silver lining for, you know, my brother-in-law, as I mentioned earlier, he retired about six or seven months before Christy's diagnosis. So of course this is supposed to be like the time of their lives. They, are practically empty nesters both the boys were one was in college the other was the tail end of high school um that they would be getting to do a lot together and spend more time and travel and all of those wonderful things um but the silver lining to it that him being retired was that he had the ability to be with christy 24 hours a day seven days a week right um throughout her battle and was the real saint or hero um, to our family, and since she has passed, you know he's he's got he's golfed back back into golfing and traveling and going to places that he's always wanted to go to, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. and is doing that mm-hmm. and um, still living his life, of course, with her memory, right, right, and her top of mind every day. Um, my nephews, one graduated the from LSU the week that she passed and he on her birthday last year actually him and his girlfriend he's in film 
um, moved out to LA. Okay. And so he's been, and he's behind the camera uh-huh. and picking up jobs and doing well and getting right. gigs. And, right. um, and then Paul is her youngest and is a senior at LSU. Uh-huh. And um, we're pretty sure that he's going to be some kind of multi-millionaire inventor <laughs> for something <laughs> that doesn't exist yet. But he has a very strong following for like unique video games and sells right, them right, and right, right. all the collects them and everything. So he's going to do amazing things and carry on her entrepreneurial spirit. Um, yeah. I think the other piece of that is with the boys and the silver lining, if that's, I think that's the best term for it, is that they were old enough to really know their mom, know who she was, what she stood for, and be able to appreciate that Right. And carry that legacy with them right. wherever they go, whatever they do. And so I always go back to that. And I and I, I know they know that and recognize that, too. Wow. The, this is in your family's genes, right? <laughs> this entrepreneurship, this moving forward and moving. That's that's like and to to for you to recognize your sister's legacy as that for yeah. your her sons to recognize it that's really great one of the things that i when you were talking about your your mom and dad too was i think it's important when things happen that you they went toward each other they went into it. They, they, the family like huddled, rallied, oh, yeah. and pulled together, and huddled, and kind of went toward each other instead of moving away from each other. And I think sometimes situations like these, traumas like these, can separate people, can move them away. And you, you, it seemed that it bonded you more, and you had more of a what are the word that you just had this this persistence about. This is what we're going to do for her. Her death is. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, I mean, like all families and especially where like they're my older half sisters. It was my, you know, my mom is my dad's second marriage. All of these things. As I have nieces and nephews, like we're a pretty good sized family. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. like all families, we have our differences and things. But to your point, exactly. Christy was always the glue for our family when she was wow. alive, but wow. even more so after she's passed. And that all those differences kind of just went away. Right. I mean, and we've just been an example of that was about two weeks ago. We were all in Vegas where my one of my sisters lives and my nephew lives. And for his wedding, we were all there together. And it's just like, it didn't matter what else was in the outside world. Right. What mattered is that we were spending quality time together and celebrating my nephew and his new bride's wedding. Um, and yeah, and, and, and it was just like one, it, the one thing that stuck with me and my dad and I started tearing up that night is because we were, you know, of course, before the dinner, we were all taking family photos and stuff because it was like this perfect it was the golden hour. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the yeah, 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 yeah. So I dragged everyone out to take photos. And it was, I believe it was the first time that the four of us, the four other siblings or kids took a photo together. And that, of course, and it was this like just adorable photo um, with my 6'4 brother in the back. Mm-hmm. And um, that really struck a chord. And, and, of course, my dad and I started crying as we looked right. at it. Right, right. But, um but yeah, our family has definitely 
come together and is stronger. Our bond is stronger than ever. So as we talk about treatments, it's the family treatment almost. It's the family pulling together, and that type of thing really makes a difference. Um, One of the things when you were saying about taking the picture and you and your father and people, you said to me one time, um, things need to be talked about. Mm -hmm. Like we cannot just pretend as if. So why don't you talk a little bit about that too? So I've always been a an open person. I'm also an emotional person. I'm the daughter of my mother and father who were, I didn't stand a chance. I don't know. My brother's less emotional than me, but both of my parents are pretty emotional. But I, for the most part, I'm an open book and I believe in talking about feelings and, or things that you're going through because that's what makes us human. Right. And one of the things I learned with this whole experience and kind of talking about it, um, to different people is that so many people have been affected by cancer, whether it's leukemia, breast cancer, all types. And it just, these conversations Mm -hmm. make our world so much smaller. Um, And, and that's, and hearing stories from other people have helped me cope with my pain and everything. So I do believe that we need to talk about it. And um, coincidentally enough, just timing this particular week, this is my fourth time talking about this. Oh, wow. (laughs) Because um, I do work a lot very closely with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And um, I've, for circumstances involving them, I have shared my story with uh, groups of people three three other times this week. And um, I had someone, I, one of those times was yesterday morning. And I saw a person that was part of that group I was talking to yesterday at the event I was at last night. And he comes up to me and he was just like, I didn't know him. And mm-hmm. like, I had never met him before yesterday morning. And he comes up to me and he's like, thank you for sharing your story. He's like, I've never been touched by leukemia, but I've lost, it was like two or three of his grandparents to cancer. And um, he's just like, it meant the world. And so and it's been a coping mechanism for me too, just to be able to share that and realize that I'm not alone in how I feel and what my family has gone through. So get get into a little bit about the notion of, you know, as you mentioned, what has helped you cope and do well. You found a purpose in this as well. Yeah. You found a purpose. Talk about that. So... I served on a committee for the Sacramento Metro Chamber, the ambassador committee. And um, that was actually one of the, gr- the group I was talking to yesterday morning. And um, but at the time of Christie's diagnosis was the end of October. Uh, the ambassador committees are always the first Thursday of the month. So a few days after this terrible news that I'm still in such a blur about, I go to this meeting in these meetings. the paperwork of new members gets like acknowledged okay these like who's willing to or who's able to go meet with this group or interested in going to meet with this group and it just so happens that the leukemia and lymphoma society's sacramento greater sacramento chapter had just signed up as a member and this is days after christy's diagnosis so of course i raise my hand volunteer i set up a meeting with their executive director two weeks later to go for coffee and it was just like this most therapeutic, like th- it was a therapy session for me. And just hearing about, I knew what I knew what the organization was. I knew what leukemia was, but I never had a reason to know or 
try to understand exactly what they did Uh um, and the importance of them. Uh And um, so it was this therapy session for me. And one of the things that uh, Janae Shepard, their executive director, told me, she talked about various events throughout the year. And one of them specifically was the Man and Woman of the Year campaign. Uh And basically, this was in the springtime every year. And it's throughout the nation. Each chapter or almost every single LLS chapter has it. But it's a 10-week fundraising campaign where they have there's male and female candidates it's just i don't like calling it a contest but it's this competitive fundraising campaign that falls over the course of 10 weeks um you can have teams and it ends the night of this huge gala that always sells out and it's just this like wonderful event and i was like that's just something that intrigued me yeah like i have i'm out in the community i have the ability to fundraise i have connections and stuff and it was something i really wanted to do however the spring of 2016 was not the time um that was a few months after christy's diagnosis she was getting ready to undergo her bone marrow transplant it was all so fresh for Mm -hmm. my family um i was planning a wedding (laughs) and so it just it didn't make sense and if it was going to be something i was going to do and my family was going to do with me then i wanted to give it my absolute all and that's how my family felt as well so after post wedding um around christmas of december 20 or around christmas of 2016 i kind of said to my dad and my husband um i want to do this and uh so we met with lls mm-hmm. and they kind of you know felt me out and and i set a goal i said i want to raise a hundred thousand dollars uh, with my family and my team and signed up. And I remember the night that I like officially signed up as a candidate. Um, I sent a big family text to Christy and Russ and or all my siblings and my parents and my in-laws and my brother and my brother-in-law and all these, basically the whole family. And I said that I've officially signed this up, signed up. And so my dad wrote back, what's the record (laughs) we're very competitive family (laughs) and um so and so this started i believe the start date for this campaign was the first week of april um 2017 and then like i said it was a 10 week it's a 10 week campaign well days before the official start of the campaign um christy received um, word from where she was being treated that they were no longer going to do chemo um, because it wasn't helping and basically she could expect to live maybe a year um, but there was just no guarantee right um, ultimately she passed five weeks later um, which was the halfway point of the campaign so but going into that this is legitimately three days, four days before the start of the campaign. So going into this, my family, we knew that our efforts, whatever number we raised, was not going to save my sister. Um, but what we could do is help prevent other f- individuals like Christy or families to go through what our family had gone through and what she had gone through. And so we really used that as like our motivation. motivation right. Um, and when she passed on um, May 10th, we our campaign had raised already $140,000. Wow. Which had wow. broken the Sacramento region record, both male or female. 
um, by a decent amount. And we ultimately went on to raise over $231,000. Oh, my gosh. So, and, um, so it was, you know, it, it was um, a very special it gave us a renewed sense of purpose. Right. Um, and that, yes, we couldn't change her circumstances, but we could contribute to saving others. And one of the things I love most about this particular campaign and LLS is that for every $50,000 um, a candidate raises, they get to name and direct a research grant. Wow. And so because of the number we raised, we got to name and direct four in honor of Christy. And three of them went specifically to AML, acute myeloid leukemia, and one went to immunotherapies. Wow, that so. that is such a great. You know, and it, when you're talking about this, you really do get the feeling that you were doing this for her, but almost you all needed this. Oh, you yes. needed to yes. do this. It's like we need to do. We can't. We can't give her chemo. We can't save her. We can't do this. But what can we do? Yeah. And I love that notion of, and it's it's like you you as a group as a family needed this. Yeah. So um, absolutely. I I mean, and Christy, that was just how she lived her life. Like she was always, she took care of herself, and she was such a happy and genuine person. But she was always thinking about others and taking care of others, strangers. Uh, friends, family, and so it was kind of our way to promise her right, that, that she would, yeah. even though she wasn't going to make it, like her legacy was going to live on yeah. and help save other lives. So as we are kind of wrapping this up, that leads me right into one of the things that I really want you to talk about, and that is when you and I spoke before, I think one of the nicest, most insightful things you said was that you as a family, you as a person in your family, try and find happiness in all we do. Sounds like that's directly resulted from your sister, and then that has moved on into your family. Yes. Um, I, and I think we've always had that mindset um, because it kind of seems like common sense to find happiness in all aspects of your life. Um, but with that being said, a lot of times it's easier said than done and life catches up to you and you mm -hmm. have commitments and just coming from all different directions. Um, but definitely with throughout this process and especially the healing process, I the thing I say to myself is in every situation, professional, personal, Sometimes even what I'm going to wear in the morning. I don't know. But <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I, I asked, like, what would Christy do? And an example, being here today, I mean, is this hard for me? I'm surprised that my mascara is still intact, <laughs> yeah. to be quite honest. But yes, but to the point earlier, I believe very strongly in talking about um, just her legacy and who she was and also what our family has gone through. Um, in hopes that it helps another family or individual. Um, and so I asked myself that question, what would Christy do? And that's kind of my way of asking, well, sh the answer is always she would want you to do it or she would do this or she would want you to do whatever makes you happy. And with the decisions I make and with the f decisions my family makes, I, be I genuinely believe that we are doing it with more intention and thought than we ever have. Yeah, um, I see that. Because we recognize that life is so precious. And 
at the end of the day, it's it's what it it's worth always. You know, not every moment is going to be good. Not everything in life is going right. to be good. And um, I've definitely lived the last few years as taking one day at a time. And I think my family has too. Mm-hmm. And certain days, it's one minute at a time or one right. hour at a time. Um, but again, I I'm at this point where I most days I accept reality. So, um, in our circumstances and I just try to use any hurt or pain or even anger and sadness to push forward and to challenge continue to challenge myself in all aspects of my life and to be a better person a better daughter sister friend wife um, and then someday in the future mom and um and use Christie's legacy and who she was as a person to be our guiding light mm-hmm. in the decisions we make. One of the things I have noted on social media um, over the past year is Christie is everywhere in our life. Like they're basically our, the whole front of our house is artwork from New Orleans that has specific ties to her um, or stuff that she's gifts that she's given me. Right. Um, there's clothes in my closet that we either had matching or <laughs> or they're, they're clothes that she's given to me. Right. There's makeup in my makeup bag. There's pictures um, in frames at my office. There, just she's She touches every aspect of our lives. And in fact, our almost two-year-old Labradoodle puppy that we got right before she passed is named Nola for New Orleans. <laughs> Um, so I, I think keeping her always present in every place that I am, I've always been too. I've always been the person to believe that or try to believe that everything happens for a reason and to really think about those moments for better or for worse that m- made us who we are today. And, um, cause we live a lot of our life because through moments, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, but when this, when her diagnosis happened, and I even remember her saying it to me at one point, why is this happening? AML is one of the rarest, it is the rarest form of leukemia. And it's the one that has the least um, successful survivor rate and progress in its treatment right. um, for over 40 years. And um, so I don't have an answer of, or I, I've struggled throughout this entire process since her diagnosis and then losing her what the reason for this was. And that was something that really, I'm not a religious, super religious person. I do believe I have an angel in the sky mm-hmm. and it's her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I, I, I've tried to like, I've tried to find maybe not the reason that this happens, but the silver linings of it all. That's a good, that's a perfect way to put it. And yeah. so, and one of the things I, keep close which was on this card with a floor de lis that christy gave me after katrina and it said it was the saying god grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change the courage to change the things i can and the wisdom to know the difference mm-hmm. and that's kind of her mindset after katrina and that's kind of a quote i remind myself throughout this entire process and especially the healing side of that yeah yeah, and re- one last thing, I I really like what you said about sometimes, 
not knowing why is this happening? And I see so many times when I deal with people who are have traumatic experience, they want to know the why. Mm-hmm. And it's so frustrating to say to them, but it's true, you may never know the why. You may that. never see that. What you can do, the choice you can make, is to spend your time looking at what did I learn from this? Mm-hmm. How did this, what did this do to my life in a way that informed it at a different level. And I do think people get caught up in the why. Yeah. And that's a stumbling block. So it's nice to hear that you said, okay, I, yeah, I got to like move past this and just say, what is a silver lining? And to me, the silver lining is the message that you've been given, the things that you're doing in your life and how this has informed you in a very provocative, you know, productive way. So... Thank you. Thank you so much, Carly. Thank Thanks you. for being with us today. Don't miss our next podcast, Stage 4, Acceptance and Adaptation, an interview with Lane and Sally Edwards. Lane's life was changed in an instant, being paralyzed in a snorkeling accident. Learn more about post-traumatic growth through metahabilitation and about Dr. Joyce Michael Flynn by visiting metahab.com. You'll also be able to order Dr. Joyce Michael Flynn's book, Turning Tragedy into Triumph. Sliver of Hope, the podcast series on post-traumatic growth, is presented by MetaHab and a production of Multipoint Content Strategies. If you'd like to contribute either your personal story or the story of someone you know, please email a brief description of your story to mystory at metahab.com. Thanks for listening. The purpose of this podcast is to provide a general discussion of the topic presented, which may or may not apply to the individual listener. It is not intended to provide and is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor, therapist, mental health professional, or other qualified medical professional. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the interviewer or guest.